Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. <laughs> All right. So I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Blake Logheed of uh Tuebor saddles so uh blake you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and tell everybody about yourself yeah i'll do my best um ultimately i'm a avid outdoorsman which is probably the reason i ended up talking to you but i've always been into uh hunting fishing camping all that stuff basically anything outside since i was a kid but more recently, I've become a winemaker for a career and very obsessed with deer hunting specifically. And I've got an engineering degree, which uh, led me to often want to create things, which I've created lots of different things for every part of my life. But a few years ago, um, Back when the saddle industry was younger and I wasn't completely satisfied with all of the options out there, I started designing my own stuff, which is really, you hear the same story repeated basically with 
all of the newer saddle companies, it was there was something missing back in let's say 2018, 17, especially in 17, 18, we at least uh, tethered came out with some stuff and things got better. But I think even at that point, there was uh, a lot of improvement to be made. And I started messing around myself and I've always done a little bit of sewing, but I bought a really nice industrial sewing machine, started sewing so I could get to multiple layers of webbing and messing around with stuff. And ultimately designed the saddle that we have released recently. And uh, I think nowadays there are awesome options out there. I think four years ago we were restricted and now there's just so much cool stuff. And so we brought this thing to market in a market where there's lots of awesome saddles, but we're just kind of we realized nobody had released one quite like ours yet, so we just kept moving the ball forward with uh, me and four of my buddies from high school that were all just good friends. And probably, I can't think of more than like five to 10 friends from high school that are as into hunting as we are. And granted, it's uh, 16 years since we were in high school, but we're all still really good friends. And uh, my buddies were all getting into saddle hunting. And so as I began creating these prototypes, I was making them test them out. And we kind of, as a team, kind of tweaked all my different ideas. And eventually we decided to try and bring it to market and found a manufacturer that could produce a saddle for us. But that's the basic... Uh, start of our endeavors in the hunting industry but me personally I live in northern Michigan and I uh, make wine for a living and when I'm not doing that I am either on my boat or scouting or hanging out in the uh, vast amount of public land we have up here and I got a wife and a kid who uh I drag along. Often they volunteer to come, but uh, the one-year-old in a backpack scouting for a couple <laughs> hours sometimes. He gets uh, a little bored with it, but I've got some fun memories of changing diapers on the forest floor this past summer scouting. And uh, I'm hoping to raise him to uh, have no choice but to enjoy the same stuff that we do yeah absolutely. and i know that you're into foraging and things i've also uh been into that especially morale mushroom hunting in the spring it's good i see your basket here. hanging up yeah. there i'm guessing that's your mushroom basket hanging up there <laughs> <laughs> oh one of my many mushroom baskets <laughs> when you find as many as i do you need a lot <laughs> no that's not necessarily Really true. As I'm sure you uh, agree, it's uh, every year is different in the mushroom woods. Some, it varies. But sometimes I, have, I got more than I know what to do with, and then others I don't. Absolutely. I have found, though, that sometimes you need to look in the places you wouldn't normally look. You know, it's, it's almost a guessing game to figure out. Like last year, we had a real bad frost, a real hard frost, 
that stuck around for like two days um, and it kind of killed off the growth that was there on the morels that were popping in some of the timber. So I went back out and kind of checked some more open areas that were getting more sunlight and lo and behold, there was actual nice size uh, morels popping up there and everybody was still looking in the timber because that's where they were starting to pop up. And then they, they kind of had like a second second growth season in the in the open area so it was kind of nice i went and uh really cleaned up while everybody else I, I could see people walking around in the woods looking for them while i was stealthily running along cutting them off and pulling them out of the ground and throwing them in a game bag <laughs> yeah i think some of the years that i don't do as well with morels it's because i'm so expect- expecting all of my secret spots to, I, like I think, oh, I don't have to even work anymore. I got these spots, and then spend all my time hiking back to the same spot every four days instead of just uh, wandering, you know. And some years those spots just don't produce, or they're like the timing is way off. And then I'll be out hiking. We we're close to Lake Michigan here, so for example, I, I was out hiking on the dunes on top of a dune one year, not even thinking about morales and stumbled upon a patch growing like out of the edge of the sand and some foliage, but like they'll show up in the oddest of places sometimes. <laughs> Found them growing out of gravel behind the winery pole barn once where the rain drips down from the roof. And, you know, very unpredictable, and that's part of the fun of it. And I was just talking with a buddy recently uh, trying to get this dude to uh, start hunting. He's going to do his first gun hunt this year and trying to explain the thrill of the hunt, not necessarily just seeing deer or being in a blind, but when you put, for him it would be a scope. You know, the second you put that scope on the deer and all of a sudden, something takes over your brain and taps into some ancient genetics, you know, that, and it's really hard to put into words the feeling when you go to harvest a deer. And I was trying to explain to him, like, you know, you've caught a fish before and like, that's like a, you know, five, it's hard to say. You can't put a number on it, obviously, but let's say 5% of what you'll feel when you, uh, take your first shot at a deer. It's like catching a fish, and then a morel mushroom. You tap into that same. I mean, I don't. Like I said, I'm clearly having a hard time putting <laughs> words on it because it's really hard to describe. But morel finding a morel mushroom. Let's say that's a one out of a hundred, and then catching a small fish is a three. Catching a monster fish might get you a ten, and then uh, <laughs> a deer just does that number is much larger number on it. Yeah, just trying to explain it to him like that, just be like, because he just thinks it sounds fun. I'm like, you don't, you really don't understand until you do it. Like, there's nothing I can say to make you to me know the feeling. It's like a, it's a different type of fun, and like you know, you hear people talking about it like it's like that type two type of fun or whatever. But I mean, like when I'm going on some of my stuff and I got the canoe and I'm getting up at like three thirty in the morning to drive you know, an hour, hour and a half somewhere, or sometimes even three in the morning. Cause I'm not camping out there or whatever. Um, like 
it sucks and you're doing it over and over again. Like this year I did it to chase a buck that I still haven't gotten yet. But at the same time, after it happens and the reward of knowing that I honed in on that animal and I killed him if I do kill him, like when that whole culmination and everything comes together, there there is going to be a rush of emotion and a connection. There's already a connection to that animal because I'm chasing that animal now. It's It's honed in and it's singled out. And that's the one I'm wanting. Now, granted, a couple more weeks from now, I may get a little tired from that and, and choose to take maybe one of the ones that I've passed or something else or whatever. But but either way, knowing that you put that work and that effort into it, the reward at the end, the the sense of satisfaction and, and gratification that you've you've justified all your hard work with the culmination of the meat and you know, sometimes the trophy and everything else and those memories that are made and, and realizing that you struggled, but it only made you stronger. All of that gives you a new sense of purpose and, and really fulfills everything that like you, you've imagined in your head, but then it's greater, it's bigger. You realize that there's a bigger purpose than just you until you can fill that new role. Something like and that. <laughs> To add to that, uh, for me, as a winemaker, I often get not much time to hunt during the best time to hunt during the rut, or I prefer pre-rut, but uh, that's often when I'm the busiest. So I end up hunting December in Michigan all the way up to January 1st, and I really love hunting January 1st. It's a wonderful day, but uh, every day you spend hunting without success kind of increases the stakes a little bit more and you're building (laughs) like i've done this 15 times and i have nothing to show for it and then the pressure builds 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 and then when it finally all the cards fall into place um the reward is that much better and uh i will say back to the new year's thing and that Two years ago, I was having a slow season. I think I shot, that was the year I shot a buck on opening day, October 1st, which was great. Felt really weird to just go behind the winery, climbing in a preset stand and get a deer without really trying. It wasn't as rewarding. And then you hunt, like I hunted all the way through as every moment I had possible until January 1st the last day of the season here in Michigan, I'm going out. And if you think about that, I killed a deer on October 1st. We're talking three months of hunting without success for whatever reason, which somehow that's just how it goes. But uh, there was a lot of pressure. Even though I had a, a deer in the freezer, I felt more desperate than ever to get another one. And then it came down to the last 20 minutes of the season and I shot two does in the last 20 minutes and like that was one of the most rewarding hunts of my life um more so than the biggest buck I've ever shot uh just finally pulling it off and then dragging Wando I was about two miles deep in some public land which was very challenging to get a deer out but it was one trip back to the car, get rid of all the gear, want, come back, drag one doe out. And I was with uh, 
my buddy Austin, who is one of the partners in the saddle company. But uh, we ended up back at the truck at 3 a.m. with uh, two does in the back. And it was kind of like euphoric, you know, just <laughs> so such a great relief. And uh, I'll never forget that. I'm sure someday I will top it. But uh, a lot of people might not think hunting those that exciting which i'm sure most people listening to this are perfectly happy shooting a doe and it's amazing fun but um when you were built the pressure up for three months of hunting that first doe felt like i just shot a 20 point buck you know the amount of joy and relief yeah <laughs> any sense it does no i actually uh i i spent my public land tag i actually drew a tag it took me four years to draw it and uh it was day one of getting out there and i'd already been out to that property twice and it was not prime conditions it was flooded out compared to what it normally is i couldn't get in any of my favorite spots and uh i'm sitting there thinking about all this and going man, I'd like to be chasing that buck on that other chunk of property that I know he's there. And it just kept, things kept popping in my head like that to where when I'm sitting there and next thing I know, here comes out two does. Boom, I blasted one with my shotgun and I was done. My public land tag that I had that I put in waited four years for, I spent it on a doe. And you know what? I don't care. That's on me and I'm happy with it. So, <laughs> so, uh, now I can yeah. chase. Now I can chase stuff with my bow again, and that's that's kind of where I wanted to be anyway. Um, it was shot out of the Tuaybor saddle, so the hemlock um, had had the kill on it, and that was fun. But now now it's back to hanging the bow on uh, on that bow hanger I've been playing with. Uh, that if you don't care, we could talk about a little bit. I've been playing with that prototype that you sent me, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I like it because a lot of times I try not to use a headlamp even when I'm in the woods and uh, it, with the button design on it, it's super simple. I can feel it in my hand, loop it over and then uh, put the, put the X elbow hanger on it and, and the smaller one and the smaller one, I hang my bino harness and, and uh, then it's got the pack hanger on it, which is pretty cool because I like my pack at about my knee level, which is nice. So yeah, yeah and to, for people to sort of visualize what you're talking about, it, it's basically a one-inch webbing strap that I do a lot of 3D printing as part of my uh, obsession with creating things. But I, I 3D print uh, basically a two-inch button. Just picture like a button from a pea coat, like a large button that happens to be fitted to uh, have webbing connect to it. That's one side, it's adjustable, and then there's just a loop on the other. So you just slide the button through the loop, similar to a Versa button on a tree stand, kind of similar concept. But for some reason, I didn't, when I thought of the idea, I looked online trying to think if I could just buy an injection molded cheap piece of plastic. But I can't seem to find any industry on the planet that uses just this concept for connecting a strap to itself, which... So I just started hammering out those, printing them, and I even used them for lots of other things. I've created straps for tying stuff to my truck and whatnot, but I thought that was a pretty cool 
way to quickly connect and disconnect a strap on the tree. So we will soon be releasing that uh, bow hanger gear hanger system on our website. But basically, it's the simple strap, and then I also 3D print uh, hangers, which a bow hanger isn't very complex thing, but ours is a little bit different that it it, it can pop on and off the strap quite easily and is secure when it's on there so it's not going to fall off so the idea is that you can put the strap on the tree without a bunch of pieces of plastic clanking around uh, no carabiners just just the strap so it's easier to untwist and orient get the strap on the tree and then you pull out the hanger component and you just quick before you really cinch the strap down you can pop as many of those hangers on as you want but I only use one for my bow and then I hang my backpack from the, uh, it's also incorporates a strap that allows you to hang your backpack at different heights. So for me, it's, uh, just the strap, one hanger for my bow. And then there's sort of a Molly type system that you can hook your backpack to with a carabiner and the simplicity is great for me. And I know a lot of people like to hang all their crap in front of them, which is fine. But for me, I don't need grunt tube and binoculars and everything hanging from the tree. I kind of have my backpack up there and it has a pouch. So this system is pretty simple. So it kind of fits how me and uh, my buddies hunt and uh sounds like you've enjoyed it thus far as well absolutely i think it, it works really well because it's so quiet it's super quiet um the way i do it is i have the hemlock saddle and i put a pouch uh at like i don't know four o'clock and i don't know eight o'clock or something like that on the pouch or on the saddle, I put a pouch. I've got two pouches on the two saddle. Pouches. Two pouches on the saddle. So then what I do is I put the carabiner in the very bottom. Then I put my bow hanger in the other small hanger. And then on top of that, I put my tether in that pouch. And that's on there. And then in the other pouch on my, le- on my left-hand side, I put my buckle for my platform in there. And then I put my lineman's rope. So what I do is lineman's rope comes out first. It goes on the tree. I climb up the tree after with sticks. Once I get to my top stick, I grab and take my platform out. And then I take out of there because my lineman's belt is already out. I take that buckle out and I put it on the platform, put it on the tree. Once I get on the platform, out comes the tether. I wrap that around the tree, take the lineman's belt off, put it back in the pouch. And now that my tether is on the tree, all my other stuff is exposed to my right hand in the pouch. And then I go ahead and put the strap on the tree with the button, which is super simple, easy to do. It's probably the easiest thing I've ever found because I don't like buckles. Buckles make noise. The clicking, whatever, if it's metal, it clangs. It's a simple system. You can adjust it real easy. I put on my hanger and then I take and put on the other little hanger. I tighten it up. And then that's when I clip the carabiner on there, take my pack off, and everything's good to go. And then the only reason I take my bino harness off now is because I actually upgraded to a larger size binoculars, and now it catches a little bit on the bridge of a saddle. So I don't uh, 
don't necessarily always keep it on. It's not like it gets in the way, but I just don't like because I added a tourniquet to the side just to be a little bit safer and try and uh, keep more first aid gear yeah. on me. And so once I added that tourniquet, it was just enough extra width on that binocular harness that it catches a little bit on the bridge. So I started hanging it up, but it actually, I think works a little better for me hanging it up like that. But, um, so I do well, all that. For first quick comment is I did listen to one of your podcasts a while back that inspired me to, I bought one of the tourniquets you, re- you recommended and I haven't quite incorporated it into the instant access part of my system, but at least I've, got it on me somewhere which is better than nothing but back to what i really wanted to say um your description just now was a perfect demonstration of how um practicing this mobile hunting and saddle hunting in general it's like a very methodical system that needs to be dialed in and you you can repeat your process <laughs> to a T and you know exactly where everything is, which is wildly important to get yourself efficient because I've taken all hunting and they, uh, I give them the saddle, I give them sticks, give them a platform, explain everything. And then they go out there and afterwards you're like, damn, that was fun. But Holy cow, it took me an hour and a half. And I'm like, yeah, you forgot, like, I didn't think to give them clips to hang the sticks from the saddle. I pretty, I think I covered most stuff, but uh, two different guys just first time out, you know, there's that struggle. And uh, it's because you haven't practiced your system. And granted, you can buy a saddle and ropes and go out hunting the next day. And people claim you should uh spend a month shooting out of this thing but i thought that was true when i got my first saddle but for me i got climbed up in the tree in my yard and i was just shooting bullseyes and i had zero um transition i didn't need i mean obviously it's good to practice but it didn't change how i shot and I believe part of that is that I do use the peep site and the peep site's going to really correct any uh, form variability in the saddle. So if you're not using a peep, you jump in the saddle and your body's kind of contorted in a different position. It could probably throw off your shot a little bit, but um, I think you can really jump into a saddle faster than a lot of people say. And granted practice is better, but you practice why not practice when you get up in the tree and you can actually hunt instead of spending uh, hours in your backyard which if you can do that great but not everyone has time to climb up and down in their backyard i mean i did it most people do it but uh if it's november which it is now and you're thinking about doing this just get one and uh maybe not don't go to your favorite buck bedding spot and expect to be completely silent, <laughs> silent but go somewhere fun climb a dang tree and then you're like wow I should have had uh, some hooks to carry these sticks I should have had my tether accessible instead of in the back of my backpack 
I should have, you know, all these thoughts, like you had, you have your stuff stacked in an order, the process of getting up the tree, which is really the first time you do it, you might really screw it up, but on the way back down the tree, you could uh, start putting those things back in the proper order. Yeah. No, I am not, I am not the most organized guy. So anything I can do to make myself more streamlined and efficient, I'm going to do. And if that means even on packing my pack, pack it twice and unpack it and repack it just so you know where everything is and making sure it's got, okay, this is in this compartment, this is here. Because I am not, like I said, I am not an organized, not an efficient guy in most of my life. But when it comes to hunting and it's something you don't want to screw up, I'd, I'd make myself dedicate just enough just to know it. You know what I mean? And have everything have a process and an order. And by doing that, one, it streamlines it. Two, it makes you more efficient. And it also makes you to where you get that repetition. And the repetition eventually becomes muscle memory and you just do it on autopilot and especially when it's you know 4 30 in the morning or 5 in the morning and you're getting ready to climb up a tree and not using a headlamp you know or whatever you want it to be as streamlined and, and as efficient as possible so it, it definitely comes into play there and that's i mean that's an integral part that's why i have the two uh pouches on the saddle and everything is stacked in a process and an order there's no guesswork anymore. There's no, oh man, I forgot this. There's no, oh, I need this or that. It's it's all there and it's ready to go. And I and and that's made a huge difference in in how I hunt because of that. And that's all saddle hunting. Yeah. You know, when it when it was hanging a tree stand, there was no method, rhyme, or reason. You'd put up your sticks. You'd either have to pull up your plat, you know, your stand, and you'd have to hang it on the tree or you'd have to climb back down and carry it up with you. I mean, I was super unsafe because one, I didn't have the lineman's rope then. I mean, I did, but it was a real crappy design with a muddy, you know, like $80 muddy harness or $60 muddy harness, whatever they cost. And, and using that, and you're not even really tied off until you get all the way up on your tree stand. Uh, I know some guys do it, but I didn't. I was super unsafe about it until I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, this is dumb. How can I do this and be efficient and quiet? And so that's how I kind of got into the whole saddle thing. And once I tried it and had the pouches on the saddle with my lineman's belt, the tether, everything had a home. And I was like, wow, this just made everything better. Everything makes sense now. And then uh, the adaptability and the lightweight and like the weight wasn't really an issue for me, but like, hanging the stand there's there's no more of that like that's the lightweight part that i was looking for it's not carrying it in the woods but it's carrying up the dang tree while you're hanging one-handed on sticks or something trying to put it up and and that made a huge difference for me i i can't imagine like if you started hunting when you're 40 i if someone got into it that late there's a good chance they started from the get-go wearing a linesman's belt but uh, for me and a lot of, I would guess the majority of people that have been hunting since they're 18 or 16 or 20 or whatever, I'm pretty sure we've all hung some, uh, stands in a pretty precarious <laughs> situation. <laughs> uh, like, 
I didn't even know what a lineman's belt was. And I didn't, I didn't even think I was being dangerous. You know, I was like climbing the tree, you know, but those uh, old before the uh, good, like lone wolf came out with the good climbing sticks, but the old uh, 20 foot stack of sticks, yeah. you know, that's just a 20, like leaning that against a tree and then climbing it up, climbing up it while adding straps, <laughs> not tied in at all. Like, <laughs> That crap was uh, pretty risky, I think. Or those even hanging are... a ladder stand by yourself. You know what I mean? I'm sure, I, like, I've done it. I've hung a ladder stand oh, yeah. by yeah. myself. You just put the one basic the strap and then climb up it. Like, <laughs> why is it sliding down the tree? <laughs> I'm almost there. Yeah, I've done that, too. The, the whole stand is, like, flexing. And once you get to the top, because it's not even strapped to the tree yet. <laughs> it's so dumb. I mean, if you think about it, but yeah, I, mean, I got to Yeah. And you don't even think about it when you're a young man. I think, I don't know, maybe it's maybe not just age, but uh, that's a big part of it. And these days I think people are getting a little bit smarter. And I mean, I, I ran a climber stand for many years that I never once used the harness doing that, nope. which I feel like I feel safer in a like I was using a summit with a, had that bar like when you're sitting and you got like a rifle rest type bar so you, yeah. you're a little bit contained and I feel like it's pretty dark I feel a lot safer than that and then some of the permanent hang-ons that I've set like with my leg wrapped around a branch and like one arm around another branch and somehow working a ratchet strap with one arm but uh, I think a climber stand's safer than that, but I've still had a couple moments where, you know, one part of the stand flips or uh, the bottom drops like three feet and you're like uh, <laughs> sitting <laughs> or hanging out, kind of got to lower yourself down, get the weight back on it, and then it's solid. But it didn't really even cross my mind back then that maybe this is kind of dumb. Yeah, but now <laughs> after I started doing the saddle thing, it's a no-brainer, and I, it it just makes you so much more efficient. It's not even just safety, but the speed and efficiency of getting the job done and the comfort, like leaning into a saddle. Like I used to have a muddy vest. Once I started wearing safety stuff before converting to the saddle, I had a muddy as well, and it was a lineman's belt, but a horrible prussic knot, which was really hard to adjust. And the pressure points were, it just wasn't comfortable, wasn't efficient. And now a lot of these saddles, like you could lean into the lineman's and, and uh, it's relatively comfortable. If you end up uh, having deer walking in, in on you, which side of the tree from my lineman's for probably half an hour just waiting for these deer to work through and it was after dark so i wasn't even trying to get my bow in my hand but i was just trying not to spook them so i ended up spending quite a bit of time just dangling and with our saddle at least and things like uh the phantom from tethered for for sure the um lineman's are connected to a loop that kind of distributes the weight from two different points some of the saddles kind of just have a loop right along the waist belt so when you lean into it all the pressure is on your waist which 
isn't bad, but a handful of the saddles these days have a fair bit of comfort, even just in the linemen when you're leaning into it. So that is a nice little perk to uh, incentivize safety to some extent. Absolutely. What's funny is uh, I was talking to my buddy about how him and I never used to tie off on anything, and he had a lone wolf hand climber. I bought one because I tried his, but I hunted out of his like two or three times without any type of tie off whatsoever. And I mean, that thing is wide open. I mean, that's just like, I look back at it and go, wow, that was stupid. At the time, I, like you said, I didn't think anything of it. Then once I bought my own, I was like, mm, I should probably get some type of safety harness, but you still only, I only tied off once I got up to the top. But then once I got a saddle, I started fully being tied off and I'm like, wow, this is safe. And then after I'd hunted out of it for two and a half seasons, I was telling him, I'm like, man, I'll never switch back because I just like how I'm, I'm tied off a hundred percent of the time all the way up. And I said, you need to start tying off. And he told me, he goes, it was about three days after you told me that I should start tying off and, you know, cause he wears a harness, but he would only tie off once he got to the top of the tree, you know, where he was hunting and he never hunted out of a saddle. And I'm, and I started telling him about the saddle and he was like, yeah, okay. You know, I'll try it out. And, uh, he said he was working on his roof and he didn't realize that a dew had set on the roof because it was nighttime and he was finishing up a few trim pieces on the roof and he went and stepped and he said he hit that dew and slid and slid all the way off his roof. Luckily he landed in a good spot. And, uh, he said after that, he goes, you know what? I can't believe it, but you know, listening to what you were saying and then that happened, he goes, you're absolutely right. So we went out and ordered <laughs> up, a, ordered up a saddle and, uh, got some ropes and, and uh, it took falling off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> it took him a fall and luck. Thank God he didn't get hurt, but it took him a fall to realize that. And so then he went out and he's like, okay, you know, obviously he's like, you know, I've got a wife and kids at home too. And not to mention, I do this all the time in a tree. Eventually it's going to, one of them, these times it's going to catch up with me and it's going to be bad. So he went and did it and he's like, yeah, you know, it is a great thing to, to, he's like, I see where the safety aspect comes in on that because I mean, you're forced to just automatically tie off and do it right then and there when you go up the tree and it's, it's done. So, so, uh, he, he was kind of telling me from the safety aspect, he, he's kind of learned that it was a good thing to do. And, and, uh, but the other thing that I switched to a saddle wasn't just a safety for me. It was, I would have to go to a chiropractor and get adjusted like five to 10 times, depending on how bad it was from sitting all day in a tree stand. And I couldn't do it multiple days in a row because my lower back would hurt too bad just leaning up against that tree, not having any lower back support, anything like that. So saddle hunting helped me. But once I sat in your saddle and we, we went and uh, I sat in it at uh, the saddle tune-up event that Genesis 3D Printing had. And right away, the first thing I said was, wow, I like the adjustability of this thing. As soon as I put it on, you could tell that you could take that, the back edge of that panel and raise it up to where it was over your hips and have that lower back support and be up, being able to adjust that. And, uh, that was pretty cool to be able to do that. And, and even though it wasn't fully fitted, I was like, yep, this is a saddle I'm going to hunt out of. I know it. And, uh, it was like a couple of days after the show, I called you up and said, Hey man, uh, I want to order one of your saddles, you know, and, and ordered it up. Um, but what, 
what kind of drove you guys in that direction to have that much adjustability? I mean, was it just trying out a bunch of different saddles and going, okay, this doesn't work for me. This isn't adjustable enough because I think a lot of saddles, they're not really adjustable enough. It's just, even though yours is one panel and I wouldn't even call it a panel, really, it's like straps and you're, you're basically using the straps and there's just the material in between. But I mean, what, what kind of drove you guys in that direction? Yeah, well, first I want to point out that, to my knowledge, it's the only saddle in the market now that actually has a functioning support section that is physically above your safety belt. So you can keep your belt on your hips where it belongs, and then you've got a section of support that goes, really, for me, when I'm sitting, it ends up riding up to roughly like where my my ribs end roughly is where it sits on my back but uh every other saddle on the market i mean either they end right at your hips or now there's the two panel system that you can get quite a bit of back support but those all still the top of the top panel is the belt so in order to get back support, that means you're moving your safety belt up your back as well. So it, it was just, that's not the end of the world, but I mean, when I hunted out of a two panel um, with a lot of coats on in December, it was a little cumbersome when I wanted to move it up my back and I physically had to unclip my safety belt, move the panel up and then wrap it back around me. And then your safety belt sitting like you know in the middle of your back instead of where it should be down by your hips so um, that's one thing that um, there's a certain level of safety that comes from keeping your safety belt on your hips where it should be instead of if you took a fall and uh, all your weight or not all, none of your weight's ever going to be in one spot on a fall like that but that safety belt's kind of what holds you in there. And uh, I like the idea of keeping it secured on my hips. So that's just one cool feature to the saddle that between that and the fact that the bridge is fully integrated into the saddle, that's the two main things that kind of completely separate our saddle from everything else on the market. Um, aside from that, um, very similar to a lot of the, more popular saddles these days it's got a lot of surface area and i guess um i'm kind of going off track your original question was how we kind of moved in that direction and what it was for me is uh i was sitting with uh i mean i don't even know if he remembers it specifically but my buddy cam who's uh, one of our partners way back one winter when i was sitting sewing one of the first few iterations of like the, some of my designs in the early phases were completely weird. And uh, at one point he suggested kind of what, why don't you just let that webbing run all the way through the bridge or he, he kind of sprung the idea on me and it was like a light bulb. And I was like, what? Yeah, let's try that. And so our, bridge is physically three strands of one inch tubular webbing this is sterling mil spec webbing each one is rated for four thousand pounds so 
when you hook your carabiner to our bridge, you are physically hooked into the equivalent of um, 12,000 pounds worth of webbing strength. And the fact that it's in a loop configuration means it's actually even stronger than that. Uh, if it was just you had a some weight hanging from a string, you know, that that 4,000 pounds would be only worth 4,000 pounds. But you run a loop, you almost double the strength of that webbing. So it's probably the strongest bridge on the market because um, really it's three separate bridges sewn together. And the only downfall to that, which to me is not at all an issue, I don't even care, but some people said, oh, it's a little bit harder beaner compared to like Amsteel, but I don't see how slippery um, bridge is really that beneficial. I, I don't mind having it be a little bit secure because if I want to turn my hips, it turns, but it also kind of holds me in position once I'm where I want to be. So it's not a downfall to me, but um, I realized when I started, the original de design was just three, basically it's three loops of webbing, all of which run through the carabiner and uh, each one of them runs your body, through your body runs through each loop and each loop is sufficient for holding all of your weight and then some, but it's a redundant system. And, and part of the design was everything, I wanted everything to have redundancy. So uh, the bridge has redundancy, in, which is incorporated into the whole saddle. But um, that back support came because I realized we kind of had an opportunity that's a little bit different than since our bridge is already one inch webbing, it was really easy to kind of seamlessly add another panel of one inch webbing that was back support. And the first couple saddles I made had that back panel, just like it has it, but it was, you, could, you had to adjust each side to make it change. And then I had that idea of, uh, it's gonna be hard to describe for people that haven't seen it, but the uh, top, there's four strands of webbing that are supporting your body. The very top one, which is the back support, isn't physically sewn into the saddle. It's running through a sleeve. So you can tighten one side of it and it adjusts the entire strap all the way around your back. And uh, that was a pretty cool feature, but uh, it also helps with walking. And I don't know if you've utilized this, but if you pull the bridge up around above your belly button and then you cinched that top strap all the way down, it sucks in all the slack. And um, it's sort of like the same way people like to, who have adjustable Amsteel bridge, they like to kind of shorten the bridge all the way down when they're walking around. So it's kind of out of the way. You can still do that. Even though we have a section of bridge that you can't change the length of, you can change the length on the backside of the saddle and shorten all of that top strap. And it kind of sucks everything in. Have you done that yet? Like I actually for when you're walking tightened. in So what I did to take the bridge is I actually just tucked the bridge in the waist belt. Um but I never I never thought about trying to tighten that up. I'll have to try that. I, well, I definitely didn't just do that. Kind of pull it up above your tummy. Ideally if you're wearing a coat or something, it'll work good. Pull it up really high and then cinch just keep pulling all the way down on that adjustment on the top strap and it'll 
carry all of the slack and it'll pull all of your bridge to the left side of the saddle and it completely pull it out of your way. So if I walk with the saddle, it's always like that. And I keep it like that while I'm climbing. So it doesn't get snagged on sticks or whatever. And it might work just as well to do it the way you're doing it for you. But uh, I'd recommend at least giving it a whirl and you might think that it's a little bit more efficient, but um, in the design process, I mean, we went through, all sorts of different uh, things, materials, and uh, currently we're working on our second edition, which we'll see where it ends up. But part of uh, one of our priorities with this current saddle was uh, packability and just being like super light and everything, which is valuable, but comfort's obviously important and safety is probably our highest priority. And in engineering, you know, they call it design criteria. You kind of list things that the design has to meet these criteria. Um, I mean, our three most important design criteria were safety one, um, and then two and three were comfort and like packability, you know. So we really nailed it on uh, safety and packability. And for 90% of people that sit in it, the comfort is great. And, uh, there's a handful of people just with like every saddle, it's kind of got a personal touch. And I've found that people have that have like different posture or like if you have uh, perhaps wider hips, or I, and we haven't quite figured out why a couple people have had some minor complaints about just uh, the one of the straps getting uh, a little tight on their hips. So we're working on a, some solutions to that just to improve the, design further which most people that have tried it out are super stoked and have no complaints about comfort but i love it for there to be absolutely no complaints (laughs) so we're working on some uh solutions and there's not a perfect saddle out there yet and uh we're all working this whole industry is just evolving so fast and we keep seeing such cool stuff come out and um I'm excited and I'm a huge fan of most of the other brands as well. I mean, there's a few that have fallen behind over the years, but for the most part, the I'd be, I, I just want to buy all the saddles, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Honestly. I wish I had I, uh, money to do it. I got rid of all my saddles and what I'm hunting out of is, is the hemlock. And I'm convinced that so far, out of all the saddles I've tried, and I've tried a lot of them, no BS. And I think the people that have a complaint about it, because the Hemlock truly kind of is the like adjustable enough to where it can fit, you know, a 14 year old kid or or you know somebody that's a buck ten in weight or a buck twenty in weight to somebody that's you know 300 pounds. It just depends how you adjust it, and you got to tweak with it. You got to play with it like when I'm up in the tree uh, like the first five sits that I sat in that saddle, I tweaked with it and I played with it until I figured out the straps and my lean angle. Or if I was kneeling, kind of sitting, I don't really sit a whole lot, but I kind of like kneel into the tree a little bit with my knees every, every once in a while for like an all day sit. But your tether height and how you adjust the saddle. And the cool part about 
the hemlock is it has so much adjustability. At first, it's almost overwhelming or daunting to somebody who's got, say, just a single panel where it's got the only thing that you can adjust on it is your leg buckles, right? And for them, they look at it and go, what the heck is going on here? You know, it's got three straps. It's got this extra two buckles down here that I can adjust on the side plus my leg straps and your upper back slash, you know, above the hip support. And, and they look at it and they're like, man, that's a lot going on. Kind of is. But at the same time, if you figure it out and you use it properly, everybody can get comfortable. I think everybody can get comfortable in it because if you're a sitter, you can pull that bottom straps, the two bottom straps, and adjust it to where it almost folds into a seat for you and keeps you folded in a seat position. Or you can loosen it up and like me, I almost have those completely released on the bottom. And then I just kind of have my back to where it's just minimal tension on my back support. And that gives me enough lower back support where I've done, I think, four or five. I think I've done five all-day sits in the saddle. And that's the first saddle that I've ever done that, that I never had any hip squeeze or anything like that. And it doesn't even have an adjustable bridge. But being able to do all those other adjustments and just figure out your tether height is where I think most people get hung up. They put their tether in one spot and won't ever jack with it, or they don't want to play with all the other buckles. And like one of the things that I learned, like with, with my other saddle and yes, I had a tethered, I had the original Mantis at first, and that one had a terrible amount of hip squeeze, no matter what I did. And the only thing that somewhat fixed it, or so I thought would fix it was an adjustable bridge but you don't need an adjustable bridge if the saddle has the support in the right places, it's soft enough in the right places, and it has the adjustability. And that's why, I mean, I'm, yep. honestly, I'm honestly hooked on using the Hemlock because once I've jacked with it enough, it was comfortable. I knew it was going to be comfortable by having all the adjustment. And, like, one of the things I saw at that saddle tune-up event was people who didn't have any saddle experience and like one of the guys I was standing there talking to that uh Christian was standing there and he put it on and got in it he was kind of afraid of it and didn't want to swing around the post or anything like that and do it and once I put it on I was bouncing all over the place in it and I still didn't have it fully adjusted but looking at the adjustment the amount of adjustment it had I went wow okay I can really tailor this to whatever my needs are so maybe maybe somebody really doesn't like it or maybe they just didn't give it a chance enough to actually adjust it. But if anybody actually listens to this and they've played around with a bunch of different saddles or something like that, give, give it a try because I mean, you'll be, you'll be pleasantly surprised once you tweak it to your needs, but it's all about tweaking gear. Yeah. I mean, I just got a new set of Timber Ninja sticks in the mail t- today. Um, been waiting forever Uh forever and then jason finally texted me and said hey man your sticks been boxed up they're on their way and i was like and you were uh what do you come from what sticks i've been riding with previous well a couple different things but um, i've been rolling with the hawks because those were like the most tried and true consistent that i had um it gets the job done but you're the job but yeah so but the first thing I did is pull them out and start playing with them. And they put a piece of shrink wrap on the metal crimp because I got the uh, retractable aiders in them. And the retractable aider yeah. um, has a piece of uh, heat shrink tubing on it, but it wasn't quite quiet enough for me. It would still clang inside of there. 
So first thing I did is I pulled it out and wrapped it with a bunch of test tape, put it back in. Quieted that end of it, but it was still making a little bit of noise inside the tiny piece of aluminum that they have so you don't crush the um, crush the carbon fiber when, when the bolt goes through to the step and the standoff on the other uh-huh. side. So then what did I do? I marked it with the marker and that one-inch piece, test tape that. And after I test taped that, it was quiet. And I was like, okay. But, I mean, the first thing I did was what? play. So Tessa tape is like the what same. What kind of tape are you saying? Tessa. So Tessa tape is like the, I think that's like the industry brand name of the stuff that they wrap all the wire looms in vehicles with. That's the, so if the wires are bouncing around inside the car, you don't hear them in the wire loom. It's uh, kind of like that fuzzy, it's fuzzy tape, black tape. So if you've okay. ever taken out a dash panel in a vehicle and see the wire loom wrapped in that black tape that's kind of felt fuzz-like, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I do hockey tape, but that sounds a little bit, yeah, it, well, little the, bit better. It, the hockey tape is like a fabric, right, like a cloth. This is like yeah. a cloth that has like a microfiber uh, finish on the top side of it. So it's just a little bit more sound dampening than the hockey tape would be. Yeah. It's that like a little, bit, little bit extra. You can get it you can get it on Amazon or whatever for, I don't know, it's a couple bucks a roll. It's not bad. It's uh, totally <laughs> worth it. Stealth strips are good, but I think in that application it doesn't really work because you want something that's about the width of electrical tape to be able to go and do it around there. And it works, works <laughs> pretty good. So. Yeah. So did you get those things on a tree yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got them on a tree, and I actually decided I still want to use a different aider on my bottom stick to get it higher up so I can only use three sticks instead of four because who can really afford four Timber Ninja sticks? So, <laughs> um, Does it feel like it's made out of um, air compared to those uh they're super light hawks or what yeah they're super light um it's incredible how light it it's let's put it this way it's so light that you could take the standoff and push it up against the tree and it sticks and you can be literally hands-free while you're trying to and i use the amsteel attachment from uh amsteel the amsteel guy sam i use the usa attachment the the ultimate stick attachment method i love that thing um, and I actually use that. So I switched them over from my Hawks to that and I can take my hands and put them around the tree without even leaning up against the stick or anything and hook it up because it sticks to the tree. It's so light. So that's pretty stick cool. Around there and then... Yeah. So I got to play with them a little bit and well, get that system dialed in, but. I, uh, was definitely looking into those sticks, but did not pull the trigger mainly on price. And I've got. And put my system pretty dialed in. Uh, I would say that I'm not going to claim to be like an expert, awesome hunter. I mean, I get two to three deer every year and I don't kill monster, monster bucks every year, but, but I'm definitely a excellent saddle hunter. I am dialed in like, I do this stuff, like you said, I don't even pull the headlamp out of my bag when I climb down. I worry about that when I'm at the base of the tree. I'm, I've been up and down so many times, it's completely natural to me. And that makes things extra fun. But uh, 
because I'm so dialed in on the system, I've kind of stopped spending money on sticks. I've got um, lots of different kinds. And, you know, in 2018, I had lone wolves. I did the wild edge for a while. And um, there wasn't nearly as many options. And then all of a sudden it just blew up. But <laughs> I ended up with some uh, the shit car minis that I'm using uh, quite a bit of different aiders and things i I make them myself so it's kind of hard to explain my system but i i do a six foot per stick and i'm using the one step mini sticks so i rely heavily on my aider system and i carry three of those 10 inch sticks they only got one step on them and i get six feet out of every stick and then i get uh you know however many feet I need to get to my platform. So I could easily do 22 feet with only carrying three pounds of sticks. And oh. you are now in the same weight range as me because mine are tiny sticks and I'm heavily dependent on aiders, but those carbon sticks are, I, I, they're one pound or less than a pound or something like that. I don't even know. Each. I mean, it's, it's light. It's light. It's definitely light. But I, I know there's it's, one it's other pretty nice. out there that has some weight ones, but uh, the weight isn't the end of the world. You and I, nope. I, I've talked to you enough to know that we we rock real backpacks, frame packs that you can feel comfortable carrying a load instead of uh, you know, some people strap it all to their saddle or whatever, which. They not want to do me. that great, but <laughs> not for me. <laughs> it doesn't work how I hunt because, like I said, I end up hunting December, and that means packing twenty pounds worth of clothing plus <laughs> all my gear. Plus, when you're going on two miles, you better have uh, some uh, extra batteries, headlamps, compass, etc. And um, you couldn't physically hang these if you manage to fit. 10 pouches on your saddle you couldn't fit the stuff i need to carry you know to stay warm for a four-hour hunt in 10 degrees which um if you're not from northern parts you you don't have to deal with what i do but um it's physically impossible for me not to carry a full frame pack when i head out to the woods my pack is bulging and it's i, I run the mystery ranch pintler which i'm absolutely in love with i will tempted to purchase the second one just in case they discontinue it someday and i managed to wear out the one i have now but uh you told me you were using what, what is it is something ascent initial ascent pack? yeah i'm using initial ascent yeah. I, I roll with the 2k i looked that up and that looks pretty awesome too but um so weight isn't the end of the world for me i carry a lot of stuff anyways but what is important is just being efficient and packable. Like your hawk heliums aren't wildly heavy, but I, no. I feel like they probably don't I, pack that amazing. They don't. They don't pack that great. Um, I hate the suction cup system on it, and I've never changed it out to anything else. But um, once I cinch everything down on the um, on the bag of my pack with the straps. Um, it all gets pretty tight and there's not any noise, but I think I top out probably 
probably close, like late winter right now. And now that I've started carrying camera gear with me, I'm probably close to 50 pounds of gear. <laughs> like it's not light with all my stuff on there. By the time you put all your heavy layers and your bibs and everything else inside the mm -hmm. pack, like it's probably close to 50 pounds. But you don't feel it. With a full-frame pack and one that actually distributes the load evenly across, you know, your hips and your shoulders um, and the frame that, you know, distributes the weight and doesn't shift around, that's what's important because you, you don't actually feel that weight. Um, and I packed out with all my gear and a full deer, and I, I believe you did the same thing. I packed out all my yeah. gear and a deer and uh it it didn't really ride a whole lot different so i mean it's that's quite something. a chore but when you get back to the truck and you're like damn did i just really carry an entire deer and all of my hunting gear in one trip it's a pretty cool feeling and um <laughs> i happen to have it people might think i'm crazy for shooting a doe how far back i shot one and how challenging it was would have been to get out without cutting it up but it, gun season was approaching in michigan and i went out to shoot a buck didn't see one so i settled for a big uh doe that was shaped like a 55 gallon drum with like little nub legs on her she was just like obese would be the best <laughs> term I, she, and she had two inches of fat. I showed the pictures of the fat to my buddy that does deer processing. And he said he's never, he's cut up thousands of deer. And he said he's never seen a deer with that much fat um, this early in the season. And this was like way back in a swamp where a deer could uh, travel and get to cornfield at night. And I think there was a pattern because just back and forth, eat corn, and she fattened herself up. But uh, point is, I packed that big girl into my pack with all my stuff, and I'm guessing it was 100 pounds, minimum 90 on my back, and trudging over fallen logs through muck. Um, the hardest part was the weight on my shoulders, but uh, physically, it wasn't really that bad because the pack helps really distribute that weight on your hips for the most part. And it it was quite a good feeling to get that thing out of the woods and put my tailgate down on my truck and, like, you know, you back up to it and just drop that weight. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, but that's it's the cool part that about moment. it because there's not multiple trips. I'll tell you what, my buddy, um, I think maybe I sent you the picture of the one my buddy shot. I don't remember. Um, but it was, a, it was a nice deer and it was a big deer. He was heavy, big body deer. And we pulled that thing out. He, 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 uh, he's like, Hey, I need you to come help me drag this deer out of the woods. And I'm like, yeah, okay, hang on. You know, I'll, I'll be there. And went and helped him get it out. And we pulled it up a ravine, uh, to get it out. And I'm not joking. It took everything both of us had to drag him out. And I'm pretty sure I almost had a heart attack. I, maybe I did. I'm not sure. But there seemed to be some... You started going uphill? Yeah. And we then had... you hit a fallen tree? Yeah. I mean, it was... And, and by the time I got there, 
the deer had started a little bit of rigor mortis, so it wasn't like it was a nice limp drag either. We were just dragging this complete dead weight, and um, it it was tough, man. I'm pretty sure my heart actually went a little bit out of rhythm or something, and I just couldn't help but think from now on, man, it's getting quartered up. I'm I'm never never doing that again, and uh, so that that's something to say you know when you don't have to drag a deer out and you don't have to make multiple trips you can just do it all in one trip or not dump gear or any of that kind of stuff it's it's a good feeling there's often a debate oh is it better than a tree stand and i don't care if someone wants to uh saddle hunt or lock on hunt they both get the job done and uh I just think mobile hunting is awesome in general, and it's the way to do it, no matter how you're doing it. But I will say, for me, I'm never going back, and I just wanted to mention a few things that I never hear other people talk about the advantage of a saddle uh, on podcasts and things. They don't mention this one or two things that I think are really important, and that is um, when I get up in a tree, I don't ever hunt the same tree. I go in pick a tree i also like to hunt pretty thick areas so i'm dealing with branches and stuff and i carry ratcheting pruners and a mini saw just to be able to clean up little dead branches and stuff but one thing that i've really utilized not only in mobile hunting but even if i'm setting a preset using my uh saddle but you get up to a tree start visualizing your shooting lanes that are available to you which aren't always perfect and if you're on a regular lock-on stand, you can reach just as far as your arms can reach from standing on the edge of that stand, right? And you've got, uh, let's say, three or four feet from the tree that you can trim branches. But what I've been doing, I've pulled off some miraculous trimming. Like <laughs> You let your tether all the way out, put your feet on the end of a platform, and you can literally extend your entire length of your body i've been almost completely vertical pushing myself <laughs> off a platform so the, the platform's like a foot off the tree i'm six foot plus my arms so also i'm reaching over to grab a branch that is literally seven or eight feet from the tree drag it back trim a couple pieces off it that i need to and then i swing over and i don't know if you end up doing this much but the ability to kind of monkey swing yourself and hang way out and trim little things here and there um can make or break a spot you might have a deer come in that you're like man i wish i had been able to move that branch <laughs> that's one <laughs> thing sometimes that... if it's a big branch i just yeah that's one thing i haven't haven't done no i'm saying that's one thing that i haven't haven't done um there's a whole, whole lot. You can't really do any trimming on most of the stuff I go to. So I just try and find a tree where I got some shot lanes and go with it. But, or I'll, what I'll do. Yeah, and I don't, I don't bring a chainsaw, but you know, little twigs and things. Yeah. Um, are, uh... but like, I will say that sometimes I try and put myself in branches and I'll have to adjust my platform and go just a little bit higher or a little bit lower to kind of tuck around where I can get my bow in between some limbs, especially uh, 
like early season, I try, I find out that, you know, sometimes you get set up and you start looking at stuff and, and realize you need to move or adjust a couple feet. Yeah. And uh, slightly related to what I was just talking about, but your ability to like change your tether length and when you lean out, it changes where your body is. This is one other thing. I'm just touching on these things. They're not like wildly important, but they're like these minor benefits from a saddle that don't exist in a hang on. But if you're in a hang on and a deer comes in and it just happens to be a branch blocking it, you can squat down if it's right and get a shot off. You squat a foot and all of a sudden the vitals are visible. But I've had multiple instances where I've got a deer standing or hanging out in an area that just can't get a shot at the vitals and you let a foot out of your tether all of a sudden you're hanging out lower you crouch your knees and you have this ability to physically swing your body left right up down and you can change the point that you're shooting from like maybe they're standing directly behind a tree and if you're not standing on a lock on you limit you can move one foot in each direction perhaps but with a saddle if you need to you can literally swing your body three feet in one direction and all of a sudden you have a shot at a part of the deer that otherwise would be physically impossible and i've had that work out to my benefit a handful of times and granted this is not super common and it's not making or breaking most hunting but it's just something that i think of sometimes that nobody else is really mentioning as one of the small perks of saddle hunting and I think most people understand all of the other benefits, so no need to rehash those. But just yeah. wanted to no, mention that, those that before. That is a good point. I mean, I've I've adjusted, um, kind of, I've adjusted my tether to where I could get around the tree a little bit more, or something like that. And you definitely you can't do that when your strap is on your back and you're you're in a, you know, like a fall fall harness versus. Uh, versus a saddle yeah. that is something that uh, yeah. you know you don't hear people mention yeah. but I've, I've done it myself and it helps and it's helped me uh take a deer too for sure that's a good point um so one thing i wanted to talk about which is pretty cool is uh this is the 100th episode and uh so you know it's it's uh toy bore saddles and uh it's pretty cool because um you guys have generously donated some stuff to give away for the hundredth episode giveaway. You want to kind of talk about that a little bit, what's going on there? Yeah. I mean, there's not much complexity to it. We simply will mailed you a saddle and a pouch. <laughs> that uh, is going to one lucky. We're going to let you we're going to let you do with it what you please and hopefully just get it out to someone that uh, is deserving. Um, I'd love to see it end up in the hands of someone that hasn't tried saddle hunting yet. But if that isn't the case, uh, either way, we're just uh, happy to support you because we met and uh, I mean, I don't know you like super well, but for some reason I met you at that event. I had no idea that you were a pop podcaster but we were just chatting and um i felt like you were just a cool dude and uh turns out you uh do a podcast which is pretty cool and then i went and started listening to your podcast and i was 
quite impressed with how professional uh, you you do these things and cover all of the same topics that I enjoy in life. So I've really been hoping to uh, promote you and your podcast more to any way I can, but uh, it, it helps that you're a big fan of our saddle, but that's not necessarily the reason why uh, I'm here today. And it's not the reason why uh, we sent you a saddle. It's just uh, <laughs> you got a cool podcast and I'd love it to uh, see more people figure out that you're recording these uh, informative things that kind of a little bit different style than a lot of other ones out there. So well, thank you. Um, I, uh, I truly, why don't you tell me, tell me how you, you plan on giving it away because I actually didn't even ask. So we're going to do, I believe it's going to be like an Instagram giveaway and we might even do a little bit of something for the Facebook uh, listeners as well. So anybody listening, stay tuned to this. I believe what's going to happen is it's going to be after the 100th episode releases. It's going to be a celebration of the 100th episode and it's kind of like Oprah Winfrey, but you're not going to have to pay taxes on a bunch of super Ooh. expensive stuff, but it's publicly <laughs> challenged favorite things and uh one of my favorite things happens to be the saddle so i reached out to you guys and you were generous enough to donate a saddle and so here we are with the 100th episode and uh it's cool to get uh get you on here and start talking about your saddle and hopefully get more people to realize it's out there and it truly is honestly i wouldn't i wouldn't promote any products and i never have on this podcast if it wasn't something that I've used and honestly believed in was a great product. And that is one of them. It meets that criteria. And the other thing that's really cool is it's made here, right? It's made right in Michigan. Um, it's made in the United States. And that's something that is also important to me because with all these manufacturing delays and everything else going on in the world, it's, uh, it's great to support, you know, local U S businesses where your money is going here into the United States, not overseas somewhere. And not only that, but you know, so a company that you can reach out to a company that you can talk to if you have questions, um, you know, some, somebody that's there and actually has their product and believes in their product and not some company, uh, not, not, you know, throwing anybody under the bus, but like Hawk, for instance, that just makes a bunch of cheap Chinese, mostly stuff and they flood the market with it and it's all out there and some of it's okay and it's decent, you know, and I'm going to say, you know, I hunted off them sticks for however long, but the bottom line is, is if I had a problem or needed to talk to like the owner of the company or somebody that works within the company, you might not get that. And, and I like that. So when you can well, let me just briefly <laughs> jump in there and say that uh, on our website we do have a phone number listed and it's set up that you dial that number and there's five of us uh just going to give a shout out noah cam austin steve and i uh that kind of started this company together and when you dial that number every one of our cell phones rings at the same time in the first person to pick it up and answers it. And so the phone calls that I've answered, and it's, it's kind of funny because it, it just rings and it shows a number. It doesn't say this is for two boards. So I'm just like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I saw your saddle. And I was wondering, like, oh, it's, it's just kind of funny. But you can literally get a hold of an owner just by dialing that number. And briefly, I just want to say 
it's kind of funny. Uh, if I was to answer the phone, it'll say, you have a call from Steve, like a robot or something. And uh, I can click send to voicemail. And then if you start leaving a message, it immediately, I can hear someone leaving a message. It's just kind of cool technology. We're using the Google uh, phone thing. So I can sit there and listen to someone leaving a message. And at any point I can hit star and jump in and say, Hey, you know, I, um, I can help you with that. So you can leave a message. And sometimes if uh, we're at work or something and we can't physically answer the call, it might go to message and we might be able to be physically listening to the message as you record it. And we might be able to step out of uh, whatever we're doing and just uh, take the call on the spot so if people do have questions you literally can talk to the owners of the company that easily and uh i don't think you can do that at hawk but uh <laughs> who knows maybe maybe i've never actually had to but i know of some people that have had some issues with some other gear and things like that and and uh like i said especially these days why not support you know local stuff um, yeah, I mean, you guys are, you know, a scant seven hour, six hour drive from me. So, um, who knows, maybe one day if I need to repair something, which I kind of doubt it cause it's pretty robust, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I could drive up and get that repair or whatever, but, um, that, I think that's, yeah, it'd be more fun if you just, it'd be more fun if you drove up for a hunt, sometime, which, which we did which... talk about a little bit and, uh, unfortunately it didn't work out and I had an obsession with that Island. Uh, which, which I haven't really talked about a whole lot on this podcast yet, but, um, you know, it's, it's one thing that it's going to happen. We're going to get up there and I'm gonna come up and hunt with you at some point. But, uh, I think that's a good yeah. stopping point right there. And, uh, once again, thank all you guys at, uh, at Twaybor Saddles for, for really, uh, donating such a generous thing to the listeners here. And, uh, before we go though, can you kind of once again say where we can reach all you guys where you can find your products and uh find you guys on social media um yeah just twaboresaddles.com and we've got the facebook page we got instagram and uh you know that's pretty basic those are the essentials right yeah i think so um one and, thing uh, that we need to do is get you on instagram i think Needs to happen here. <laughs> Me personally, yeah, yeah. One of these days, <laughs> it seems to be uh, the preferred method of a lot of people in the hunting industry. But just briefly, uh, we're just five middle-aged dudes who work regular jobs, and we're just passionate about hunting, and thought we had something fun and unique to offer to people. So. We're sort of relatively in the startup phases still. We, I think we have a lot to uh, still offer to the industry over the next handful of years. And it's always been, we keep reiterating with each other that, because we kind of spent two years testing and messing around with design. And it was hard to watch all, all these saddle companies popping up like crazy and thinking we were missing the the wave you know but we kept telling ourselves this isn't we're not just trying to make a buck just because saddle hunting's blowing up this is a 
long-term goal of building this to be uh, around for a while and offering cool stuff. So we're going to keep building our product line, but we're not super rich. We don't have investors and we don't have the ability to have a bunch of stuff manufactured overseas or anything. We're just kind of working our way along and uh, doesn't mean that, Products are cheap. We're made in my mom's basement. We have a physical, uh, professional, commercial manufacturer out of Grand Rapids producing the saddles for us. We have a, another machine shop in Grand Rapids that's manufacturing the G-hook buckles. Uh, we're sourcing the Sterling Webbing, which is a household name if you're uh, Climber. a uh, saddle hunter. Sterling, everyone knows that they make some of the best ropes in the country. They're out of Maine. Um, the only thing that we outsourced was the, uh, or sourced from outside the country was the Austro-Alpin buckle, but, uh, they're kind of the, the main leader in safety buckles, uh, in the country for climbing and stuff. And, um, we just really liked that product. So, um, they're made in Austria, obviously. Well, maybe it's not obvious, but Austro-Alpin, um, perhaps you've heard of them. A lot of the saddle companies use them. But uh, right now we've just got saddles and pouches on the website and we have all of the intentions of having full setup and ropes and things, but with the pandemic and all the manufacturing issues, the specific rope that we want to use, we Sterling has been backordered. They're, they're just having issues with supply and, we wanted to offer a rope that other people aren't selling it. And we found a really cool uh, rope that we wanted to use and we just can't get it yet. All we've done is been able to test the handful of their ropes that we purchased last year. And then we go to buy it in bulk and we can't really get it at the moment. So currently we don't have ropes, but we're hoping to get that on the website very soon. But I mean, there's boatloads of, uh, awesome company selling ropes on the internet and i'll give a shout out to eastern woods outdoors who i'm sure many people have heard of them they can fill any slot of gear that we can't and otherwise all the other saddle companies um have a lot of good options too so uh soon we'll be releasing the bow hangers we discussed earlier which are relatively innovative they're not there's nothing like them on the market yet whether for better or worse i I like to think they're better but uh (laughs) you can decide once you see them on the website hopefully we can uh, start working on more video and stuff like that uh it's been hard to with a bunch of busy guys trying to hunt uh we haven't put enough material out there to really um show videos of stuff but that's something we're working on too so within the next year we'll have more products more material more information potentially gonna release a um second version of the saddle that's different it's not gonna replace it it's just gonna be uh kind of like a heavier option in a way a little bit beefier for uh, added benefits that we can discuss discuss once that uh, comes to fruition. But uh, I think that sums it up. Uh, 
hopefully we've generated a little bit of interest today and people can at, at least check us out whether or not you want to buy a saddle just uh keep us in the back of your head and don't forget that uh <laughs> we're up here trying to make something cool for people to enjoy and my main goal is to get more people in the woods and mobile hunting is the most fun you can have hunting so really what we should be doing is selling mobile hunting first and then the saddle comes second and uh there's any you can buy any saddle on the market and be potentially if you're like me and it spurred a love for mobile hunting because it, it it generated so much interest and fun in the whole sport if you want to call it that uh lugging big tree stands used to be sort of a burden in order to get out and hunt now climbing the tree is part of the fun for me like i, I got good at it and dialed in my system and if i don't even see a deer it's it's uh i don't go to the gym i go to the woods and hike around and climb some stuff and it's just a blast and uh think a lot of people would find joy in it whether you're using our saddle or someone else so anyway <laughs> i think you should put in the last word but i'll say you <laughs> might be a lot more comfortable if you if you get the hemlock so i'm just gonna leave it at that Blake, it's been awesome talking to you. So glad you came on and uh, shared about it. And uh, once again, thank you for donating the awesome saddle. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, one last thing. Um, whoever ends up getting that saddle, um, feel free to reach out to our email address on the website or the phone number if you have any questions or you want any tips or anything. And you're going to need to figure out how to put the pouch on properly because our pouch is unique and it has an attachment method that is very specific to our saddle. So if you put it on wrong, it's going to be flopping all over. You got to really, and it's not super obvious. I'm assuming you've got it dialed in on yours by now, but and that's that. And have a good day. And I hope to see that you've shot some more deer soon and if you get bored in december and want to come freeze <laughs> give me a call and drive up all right thanks man and once again thank you so much for listening to the publicly challenged podcast i hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenge.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. 
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.